0: Right, so um, we're changing tack a little bit, um, and it's um, this is this is difficult. This is difficult. Yesterday, I came across the most horrific story uh, on uh, on the Daily Mail website. Take a listen to this: an orangutan. Forced to work as a sex slave in an Indonesian village, screamed and defecated uh, when the brothel madam who had kept her captive visited her in a rescue centre. This is an orangutan, folks. Uh, Pony, who is uh, an endangered Bornean orangutan, was discovered in February 2003 uh, inside a darkened room in the village of Karangpangi, uh, chained to a wall and lying on a mattress, uh, and she had been abhorrently exploited uh, by local palm oil farmers who would come to the village and pay, and this is extraordinary, 40 rand to have sex with her. Uh, now, uh, Michelle Desailly, uh is... Uh, uh, Desile sorry, is the director of the Orangutan Land Trust and uh, joins us on the line now to uh, tell us how Pony is doing 15 years later and also to talk about the work that wh- her organisation is doing uh, in supporting the conservation of orangutans and their hab- habitat. Michelle, welcome to Late Nights on Cape Talk. Great to have you uh, joining us on the line from the UK. Uh, now, what I found out about you through this this shocking story in the Daily Mail uh, a couple of days ago uh, regarding an orangutan called Pony, and I briefly mentioned in the intro there uh, the, her her story. Um, in terms of how. How common it is, and I don't just mean in that very specific specific incident, but but the mistreatment of orangutan. How how common is it, um, and and when was your organisation set up?
1: All right. Um, well, it is um, unfortunately still quite common that there's there's you know very horrible things that are happening to orangutans. The case of Pony was a one off to be used um, basically as a sex slave. We've not come across. Uh, another case of, of that ilk since the, in the 15 years since she was rescued. So, thank goodness for that. Um, but is she still alive, Michelle. Oh yes, yes, she's doing wonderfully. Yeah, oh. she's living on an island with seven other orangutans. She's not really releasable to the great wild, you know, vast forest, but mm. she lives in a very large forested uh, island in the mi- middle of a river and oh. is living predominantly independently. Incredible. And um, she's happy and healthy and bossy and has a great sense of humor and is, is just the epitome of resiliency.
0: How how long had um, she been in captivity for uh, and kept in those dreadful well, conditions? We, we think she must have
1: been about six or seven when she was rescued. Right. Um, and, it, you know, it, we can't say exactly when it was that she was, you know, captured, mm, mm. but the fact that she was... Um, you know, in this situation and not acting like a wild orangutan in any way whatsoever um, tells us that that the situation must have been ongoing for quite some years.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you say that Um, a situation like like ponies was was extreme and is not something that you've come across again, but just the the widespread mistreatment of orangutans is is how prevalent? Well, I, I would say it's, it's still prevalent, but
1: it's less so because I think through the efforts of many groups on the ground to educate the communities and, and use radio and and television to reach out to say, look, this this is not acceptable. These these are amazing animals, and and the mothers love their daughters and sons just the same way as human mothers love their children, and. And that's reaping some rewards because, we, you know, we've seen that the local community, when, when they know of an orangutan that's being held captive, um, you know, after some time began to report these things to us and say, look, my uncle has an orangutan, can you go and rescue it? Or indeed some of the people that were holding orangutans captive. And not to say they were all cruel and horrible to them, but mm. many of them loved them enormously. I mean, how can you not love the most gorgeous baby Animal on the planet is, mm, is an mm. orangutan. Um, and and they were just ill informed, uninformed about what that means the fact that an orangutan grows up and becomes un, unmanageable, that they live for 50 years or more. Um, their cuteness doesn't last. And so um, it, in the early days, in the mid 1990s or so, it was a matter of forcibly. Going with the authorities and confiscating orangutans, hands, um, and then a shift after some years where people were coming to the rescue centers directly and saying, "Please, can you take this ranked hand and give him a better life?" Um, so we see less of that captive you know the people holding ranked hands as pets or or abusing them mm. um, in in the landscape in Indonesia they are still being trafficked around the world and and sent to places like Thailand to do, like, kickboxing shows. And, you know, they're not well treated at all. Goodness me. Um, So, so, you know, I don't want to uh, say that's not happening. Mm -hmm. The greater threat to their orangutan right now, two threats. One is the conversion of their habitat for agriculture, um, a great deal of that for oil palm. And the Mm -hmm. second is direct hunting. People are actually going out and killing the orangutans sometimes for food it's not to say that they're hungry and this is their only source of protein, but it is a source you know and they're opportunistic and they see see an orangutan in the forest it you know represents a, a lot of food for a few days and and uh, you know they say it tastes good so so we have you know two issues that we we really need to focus on. Um, in addition to this this capture and trade and trafficking of orangutans uh, more so looking at the conversion of their habitat and the the hunting pressure on them
0: so I guess a lot of your work is is around education what are your biggest challenges well,
1: I suppose the the biggest challenge t- challenge we face right now in in terms of outreach in terms of of um, allowing the people that care about orangutans to know what they can do to make a difference is the conf- confusion that surrounds the palm oil industry and its impacts on orangutans. Mm. There's no denying that the impacts of unsustainable palm oil are disastrous for for orangutans, but our work is to break the link between deforestation and biodiversity loss associated with palm oil and for palm oil to proceed in a more sustainable way, and to allow people to, to encourage people to make that leap from, well, if I just say no to palm oil, then we can save the orangutans. That's not going to work. I wish it were true, but it's not. What we need to do really is demanding of our brands and retailers that all of the palm oil that they source is free of deforestation, is not causing harm to orangutans. And and it's a really difficult message to get across when, when you have a you know, 180 characters in a tweet or a few seconds sound bites in an interview or something um, to to try to express that. Um, in the communities in on the ground, the, the challenges are getting to the communities that are deep in the forest that are hunting these orangutans, or uh, getting to the communities that are making choices about clearing land for oil palm or doing other um alternative livelihoods that that may be less disruptive to the the lives of orangutans
0: Are retailers getting on board because I know there was a, a great deal of controversy a couple of weeks back regarding at uh, the supermarket chain Iceland's uh, Christmas uh, Christmas advert which uh, which uh, addressed the issue of palm oil and and I gather and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong but the 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 body that offers guidance on clearing adverts for for TV uh, in the UK had uh, had refused to allow it to, to, to air um, what There's I mean what some- were your thoughts Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah, so, yeah.
1: I think you've got the story just about right. Okay. Um, what it was was that Iceland used a, a video that was created for Greenpeace, a delightful video narrated by Emma Thompson, mm. and really everyone ought to see it. Just Google it. Um, but while Greenpeace, like us, did not endorse a blanket boycott of palm oil but instead called for deforestation-free palm oil, right. Iceland changed the ending of this message to say, we can't find any deforestation free palm oil so we're going palm oil free well that's not quite true because there is deforestation free palm oil so we're trying to encourage iceland to um, put their money where their mouths are and and to source deforestation free palm oil make sure that there's no deforestation in any of the supply chains because if they switch to an alternative oil then what is the the environmental impact of that alternative oil Um, and Let's say we we scale this up, and all retailers across the globe say, "Okay, we're not going to use palm oil. We're going to use alternatives." What that means is a shift of the problem to, let's say, that the alternative is soy, a you know, mm-hmm. common uh, ingredient in vegan uh, products, for example, um, which is grown quite a lot in South America at the expense of the Amazon, um, or if we can close down the palm oil industry in Indonesia and Malaysia where it's primarily grown, they're not going to just leave those fields idle. They' are going to plant it with soy to meet the, the global demand for oil. And that soy has such a low yield that it's going to take up to take up to nine or ten times as much land to produce the same amount of oil and therefore exas- exacerbating. The, the impact on, on rainforest, tropical rainforest. So the alternatives to palm oil are not better and, in fact, could be worse. We say that the best alternative to palm oil is deforestation-free, sustainable palm oil. So we're, we're working with, with brands and retailers, not only here in the U.K., but globally. Most are on board. Um, we're going to be meeting with Iceland in the new year to talk about how they can, you know, ensure that deforestation is not in their supply chain. And, and I think we can shift this dialogue um, just a little bit. In your country, I'm aware of, of Woolworths in, mm-hmm. in South Africa mm. is a, a member of the Roundtable for Sustainable Palm Oil. And um, yeah, I would encourage people to have a look at their website to see exactly how far along they are with their sourcing of Sustainable Palm Oil.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: and, and encourage more brands and retailers to get on board, become members and start that journey to ensuring that the the products that we consume, wherever we are in the world, are not contributing to the decline of orangutans or other species.
0: So, how would we do that? And that was going to be my next question. What can we do uh, here in South Africa uh, to uh, to encourage more retailers here to to take uh, to take that stance? Well,
1: just as social networking has you know really made a huge uh, publicity success for Iceland here in the UK. I think their video now has something like 68 million views. The video that couldn't be shown Mm -hmm. on (laughs) television. So, um, and that's all through social networking. And there's, uh, you know, petitions coming off the back of that and so forth. So the power of social networking is is huge. And I'm seeing a shift in social networking that um, people are using social networking to say, hey, to another, uh, you know, a, a rival mm, retailer, mm. let's say, what are you doing about Palmo? You know, I care that, you know, the products that I buy from your shop are not contributing to, to these, these impacts. And that message is getting through to the retailers and manufacturers. So I would say instead of spending six hours reading the labels on the back of every product in your weekly shop and trying to figure out whether it's sustainable or not, or whether... It is, in fact, palm oil or another vegetable oil. Um, Take that time. Well, take a fraction of that time. Take one minute out of your day and send one tweet or a Facebook message uh, or whatever, um, you know, platform you you wish to use to communicate to those brands and retailers that this matters to you. That will go so much further than quietly, um, you know, putting a, a, you know, jar of Nutella back on the shelf, Yeah, which, sure. by the way, Nutella is very <laughs> uh, progressive in their sustainable sourcing. So.
0: Thank goodness for that, because I've got two pots yeah. in my cupboard at home. Yeah, um, yeah. you can feel safe. <laughs> okay. We
1: call orangutan f- uh, Nutella orangutan friendly because they're, they're so very dedicated to deforestation free palm oil.
0: That's good to know. That's good to know. So so do we know how many orangutans are left in the world, Michelle? <laughs>
1: That's a wonderful question, because every time the scientists go out and do another population study, they come up with different figures. Mm. Um, And the figures um, appear to be rising, but that doesn't mean that there's a rise in the population. There's Mm. just better surveying techniques and uh, better detection techniques, and some previously unidentified populations have been Identified mm-hmm. in the interim, they they haven't been magically breeding like rabbits overnight. Okay, um, so um, the numbers, um, the estimates vary because it's very hard to get a specific. You count ringtails by counting nests in the t- tree right. canopies and so forth. So to get a really accurate figure, it's just a little bit hard to say. Um, less than a hundred thousand, I'd say about sixty sixty thousand, maybe if we're lucky. Um, across the different species. And that may sound like a lot, but they are critically endangered, um, the three three species of orangutan. We recently identified a new and third um, species of orangutan, mm. of which there are only 800 uh, left. So uh-huh. they're the rarest great ape species on the planet, the Tapanuli orangutan in Sumatra. Now, they're threatened by um, a planned hydroelectric dam backed by Chinese bankers And we're doing all we can to to stop that in its tracks, to to prevent the extinction of this species.
0: I want to talk um, about. I uh, just I wanted to ask you about orangutans like Pony, who were able to uh, now, uh, as we've heard, which is great. Sort of live live uh, lives where they've been cared for and, and looked after. What is the process of rehabilitating uh, an orangutan? I mean, how difficult? I mean, obviously, as we said, Pony's example was was extreme, and 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 the the trauma was evident. But how long would it take typically uh for an animal to, to assimilate back into a, or to rehabilitate
1: a young orangutan we're talking about eight eight to ten years mm. to do this if, if you imagine an orangutan spends that much time with its mother in the wild learning everything it needs does it really ten mother. years well about nine years at, at the most Extraordinary. Um, depending on what part of the, the region you're talking about mm. so, um, but we're not as good teachers as as orangutan mothers, no, and, uh, we can't climb quite as high in the trees. What we can't, you know, we you could say we teach them how to be wild, but that's not really accurate. We give them opportunities to learn how to be wild. Mm. We present them with termite mounds, and we demonstrate how you might uh, fashion a, a fishing stick to to get the termites out, and <sighs> and where to find them, or how to be afraid of a snake, or how to react. You know, we throw a a rubber snake onto the ground when they're not looking, and then all the babysitters who look after them, um, the baby orangutans start screaming and picking up all the babies and climbing up trees and throwing sticks at at the snake to demonstrate that is the response you should make. It does. Except for, her, a very clever. There's one very clever orangutan called Cassie. She was made famous in Orangutan Diary a series by on the BBC, mm. um, where she she just walked up to her and said, "Come on, you guys, this is fake. This is rubber." <laughs> Started <laughs> flicking around and ruined the lesson entirely. Um, so some are too wise for their own good, mm. um, and some don't learn the lesson. We we did lose um, one orangutan to snake bite. Mm. Um, so we we presume that perhaps he he didn't quite pick up, yeah, he wasn't really attentive in that lesson. Um, so, yeah, you know it, it's going to depend on how much time they they spent in the wild before they were orphaned and and became captive, how much wild learning um, they were able to do. But if they've come in very young, it's starting from scratch, and it's a real challenge. And the process is, is kind of like school children. They start with a nursery um, or baby school, where the littlest ones get all the, the love and attention that they could possibly need from their babysitters. And there's little tiny climbing frames and little tiny trees for them to test their their skills out on. And as they grow bigger, they go into four school one and four school two with. And they progress up the classes, you know, depending on how well they do with their lessons and their temperament and how well they make friends. Um, And eventually they'll make their way to one of these islands in in the river uh, where it's rather like Orangutan University. They're left predominantly to their own devices with a little bit of help with uh, feeding. Mm. And they're observed from a distance. And if they can, you know, show that they've got the skills on the island after, say, 18 months or two years, then they're candidates for release. Wow. Um, so, so it's a very thorough uh, and comprehensive process uh, with plenty of opportunities to intervene and backtrack and say, this rank hand is not thriving. What do we need to change in it's, its program? uh to give it the best possible chance of of returning to life in the wild
0: in your experience what what is the relationship between orangutans and humans because of of documentaries that i've watched wherein uh, animals are kept in captivity uh, and and use whatever term you like whether you use the term uh, as pets or whatever i mean i think there's a there's a couple in south africa here who have a hippo uh, that lives with them and sort of wanders around through their house and and all the rest of it but but They, we are still dealing with wild animals. So, do you give any credence to the argument of, well, yes, we raised it since it was uh, um, from the time that it was a a, a baby, uh, and therefore we are the only, we are all it knows, and therefore it should stay with us. Does that hold any weight with you?
1: Not really. No, I mean I've raised a ringtail since they were babies too, and they, they, you know, by age three they're biting my kneecaps off. So. You know, it doesn't matter how much love intent- and and not out of cruelty or, you know, hate. Mm. They're doing this as a game. Let me mm. put that straight. A little bit older, they can become quite dangerous. Yeah. And um, no, they they simply do not make good pets. And, and it's it's a welfare issue for, for the animal. Yeah. The, the, the animal needs a space. It, it likes to be in high spaces. It likes to move about. It likes to explore its world if you limit it to an, enclo- an enclosure, a cage, or even a house, um, there's not enough to engage its very quizzical mind and, and its need for for exercise and movement. And um, l- luckily in, in Indonesia and Malaysia, it is illegal to own orangutans. Mm. Um, it's a little bit hard to get enforcement of that law, um, but it is illegal. And uh, no, I, I would not encourage and the keeping of any primate, monkey, mm, mm. or ape um, as a pet on both the grounds of it's dangerous to the owner, um, and it's just not in the best interest of the animal whatsoever. The primates do not make good pets. S- end of story.
0: Before we let you go, I did just want to ask, what uh, what was the fate of those people who had kept Pony captive? Was uh, Were they brought before the law?
1: No. No. Um, It was quite a long time ago. As I said, Mm. enforcement of the law is very lax Mm. in these regions. It was especially lax in those early years of of the project existing. Um, Hundreds of orangutans were rescued from these captive situations and not a single um, prosecution Mm. uh, took place. Uh, More recently, there have been a couple of court cases against individuals trading orangutans. In Indonesia um, where they were uh, seriously fined and imprisoned Uh, but that these are new more recent developments so hopefully if we can encourage more um, you know enforcement of the law that would be becoming a deterrent to these crimes Mm -hmm. I I know in Africa there's some really great organizations that are working um, at that level to you know represent wildlife in, in courts of law and and you know, get traffickers of wildlife and parts of wildlife um, to be jailed uh, for for their crimes. And and it's, you know, bearing a lot of fruit after many years of working on uh, on that issue. Mm
0: -hmm. The website is forestfororangutans.org. And Michelle, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show and uh, absolutely fascinating stuff. Thanks ever so much for your time. Okay,
1: thank you.